Welcome to the podcast, Life with Jerry Williams. I'm Jerry. This is another recap episode as we are looking forward to season three beginning on Monday, August the 3rd. On this episode, The Educators highlights from a couple of episodes from earlier in season two where we talked with educators. The first one deals with something that was top of mind and the top of the news cycle for, I don't know, a week or so, those murder hornets. Talked with an entomologist from the University of Georgia, Dr. Hinkle. And the second segment deals with COVID-19 and how it impacted public education. And I talk with two teachers who just happen to be my siblings, my brother Michael and my sister Deborah. Deborah teaches in Ohio in the public schools there. Mike teaches in West Virginia in a public high school there. That is all coming up on this episode of Life with Jerry Williams. Do you remember all the hubbub back in May about murder hornets? Technically, they are Asian giant hornets, and they were at the top of the news cycle for, I guess, about a week or so. They were spotted in Washington State and British Columbia, and they real, they're the biggest hornets in the world, and they can decimate a colony of honeybees in a matter of hours. And that's a big deal for people like me who are beekeepers. They also have been known to kill people in Asia, where they're from, if enough of them sting you because they're so big, they carry so much venom, and their venom is so toxic. Well, I got a hold of an entomologist from the University of Georgia, a Dr. Nancy Hinkle, to ask her about the murder hornets. And that episode originally was released on May the 11th, the title murder hornets mr williams dr hinkle how are you i am good how are you i am very good i so so appreciate you joining me on such short notice to talk about this thank you so much delighted we love to talk about insects <laughs> well, that's great first give me a little background on you if you will i am a veterinary entomologist so i work to keep animals healthy by controlling the insect pests that bother them i work on all the blood-sucking critters the fleas ticks <laughs> lice mites mosquitoes blood-sucking flies, etc. And there are an awful lot of them, aren't there? Yes, and PETA has not yet attacked me for doing so. <laughs> you know, I think even they have to draw the line somewhere, don't they? That's right. <laughs> well, the reason I have asked you to join me today is to talk about, and I guess it was back in December, they discovered these in the Pacific Northwest, the Asian giant hornet. Right. And it has been referred to in a press in the press with a name that you prefer not to use. That is correct. And would you tell me why you prefer not to use that name? The New York Times dubbed it the murder hornet. <laughs> Sounds and ominous. In my estimation, self-defense is not murder. Asian giant hornets kill only to feed their babies or of course if their life is threatened neither of which constitutes murder. There you go. Manslaughter at worst, right? That's right. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about these hornets. I, I've done a little research. I, I am a beekeeper myself. I've been a beekeeper for a couple of years, and their notoriety for preferring honeybees has, I think, got a lot of beekeepers in North America worried that if they spread from Washington and, and British Columbia, that we're all in trouble, as if the honeybees don't have enough problems. Yes, that's a very good point. With all the diseases and pests they're dealing oh, with, yeah. yes. Where do these Asian giant hornets originate, and how do you think they got here? 
Well, they're indigenous to most of Asia, uh, stretching from the very eastern part of Russia on through all of Asia. So they could have come from any of that area. And I think the best guess is that they were accidentally imported, probably on a commercial shipping vessel. It only takes one pregnant female, you know. Mm. <laughs> now, these are, am I, am I correct in this, that they are the largest hornets in the world? That is correct. And they get to about, what, two inches long? That's what they claim. <laughs> and they have a stinger that's about a quarter of an inch long. And my information is that those, their stingers, unlike the honeybee stingers, are not barbed. So they're able to sting multiple times. That is correct. They're not a bee. They're a wasp. And so they're able to sting repeatedly. Whereas the point you make that honeybees have the barbed stinger. stinger so once the stinger gets into the skin, it's ripped out of the abdomen. Yes. They also have these uh, mandibles, like pinchers right. almost, that, that, right. that, that helps them defeat their quarry and, and then cut it up into little pieces and carry it. But I guess they do they do they like eat it up a little bit first and, and, and soften it up, turn it into almost like a, a mulch and then take it back to the hive? They don't have to. They can, as you were describing, just cut it into sections and haul it back to the hive. Yes. What is but it? But also, they use they use those the, they use those mouth parts to also dig in the ground. So that's one reason they have such robust and strong mouth Man. parts, so that they can chew into the ground and make their underground abode. My understanding is that while they don't necessarily prey on humans, that if humans come into contact with them and they feel threatened, they will sting. That is correct. The New York Times and other media outlets are certainly making hay out of how big this creature is and how much its sting will hurt. But really, that's not the main point. Again, the Asian giant hornet does not want to sting humans. It prefers to ignore us. And again, unless it feels threatened, it will. And as you made the point, the real threat is to U.S. beekeeping. Yeah. They tend to, and again, you, you're you the expert, so you correct me on what I've, I've read just over the past few days. And I, I don't know why it took so long. They found these things in December, and we're just now hearing about it. I guess there were other things at the top of the news cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As if COVID-19 wasn't enough. Now we have these giant Asian, Asian giant hornets to deal with. They, they put a pheromone out, especially if they find like a honeybee colony. One worker hornet will spread some pheromone that attracts others and they kind of swarm and attack with a bunch of them. Is that correct? That is right. And this is one of the more intriguing aspects of this creature. The honeybees in that area, in the Asian area that have co-evolved with the Asian giant hornet had to develop some kind of defense or they'd be eliminated by the Asian giant hornets. Fortunately, these honeybees have a mechanism that they can use. Have you ever thought about how honeybees survive in the frozen wastelands of Canada over the winter? Mm -hmm. Well, they can produce their own heat. You know this, you're a beekeeper. Yes, even cold-blooded insects can generate heat by vibrating their wings and thus generating metabolic heat. They can actually heat up the hive. In fact, they can raise the temperature to 127 degrees Fahrenheit. That's amazing. Uh, simultaneously, this activity also increases the carbon dioxide level so that the Asian giant hornets are anoxic and they die of heat stroke right there in the honeybee hive. <laughs> so fortunately, honeybees have a higher heat tolerance and they can survive a few more degrees up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. 
So any, and also any honeybee that gets overheated can circulate out of that mass that's surrounding the hornet, cool off, get its breath, so to speak, and then move back into the honeybee mass to contribute its heat to the effort. And eventually that will kill the hornet and the honeybees can then get back to business. Dr. Henkel, is there anything else that you think that we ought to know or that may be of interest that I haven't asked you about, about the Asian giant hornets and their potential effect? Well, they're just intriguing creatures. They're one of God's creations, so they have their place in the world as well. I don't mean to be an apologist for this creature, but it has to feed and it has to raise its babies. So it's not all bad. It's just doing what it was created to do. We want to balance things, so we certainly don't want them coming in and eliminating honeybees. But I will remind you that honeybees are an introduced species as well here in North America. That's right. That's right. They are. The top story of the year, of course, has been the coronavirus, COVID-19. It's affected all of us at some level or another. Either we haven't been going into work, we've been working remotely, and if you have kids in school, it's certainly affected you. Well, I happen to have a brother and a sister who are teachers in the public schools, and so I talk with them on an episode that first came out on April the 27th, entitled Together While Apart. And we talked about how they were dealing as educators with distance learning, online learning with their students through the public schools. So how long has it been oh since God. you've been in the What was it, Mike? March. March. Did both school, both states Roughly, close yeah. the schools yeah. about the same time? The 13th, Friday the 13th was our last Friday the 13th Friday was our last day of school. Physically with kids. Right. We went in, I went in on Monday and Tuesday to do admin and teacher meetings, but our kids left on Friday the 13th. Same as us. Um, the governor called it, but we kind of had an idea. So on Wednesday, we were already getting together two weeks worth of lessons to talk to the kids about. Most of our kids do have Wi-Fi at home. In fact, the vast majority of them do. And we were fortunate that we went one-to-one, which means we literally gave every one of our students a Chromebook this year. So on that Thursday and Friday, the last Thursday and Friday, the 12th and 13th of March, kids that didn't have reliable Wi-Fi at home were able to download stuff that we had prepared for them while they were at school for the next two weeks. And, and that's, Sarah, that's what we did too. All of our kids, our middle school is fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And all of our kids from fifth grade on have one-to-one devices. They have Chromebooks or iPads, I'm sorry, they have iPads. So all of those kids were able to take those home with them. And initially we had planned for between two and three weeks of work as well, Mike. And we had some kids who didn't have internet. So we've worked, you know, Xfinity is doing a lot of things, providing free internet for kids that are, you know, free and reduced lunch. And then our tech department actually went out and did some hot spots for them to assure that everyone We'll oh, have cool. internet and be able to meet with us on a daily basis. Yeah, Xfinity, Jar, sorry to jump in. Xfinity offered um, lower income families free internet through the duration of this crisis. Number one. Number two, we've been supplying meals for kids from two to 18 years of old age. Like they can come in and pick up five breakfasts and five lunches throughout the week. You know what I mean? Once a week. And, and at those places where they go yeah. and do that, then they pick up packets. If they don't have Wi-Fi at home, they pick up packets of information that our administrators are printing out for them um, of all of the work that the other kids are able to access online. 
That's pretty cool. standard here too. I think, Chair, I mean, we're really blessed to be, say what you want about our communities, we're pretty blessed to have schools that really care about their students. Our administrators are at school. Parents or guardians put in their lunch and breakfast orders on Friday. And they oh, pick okay. them up on Monday, but like our admin and our superintendent, God love them, they're the ones packing all that stuff and, and giving it to the parents as they come by or delivering it if they don't have a way to get there. And I know that our superintendent, we have school people that live in our community that go to another district, and those people will sometimes show up, and he just gives it to them too because he doesn't want anyone not to have meals. And it's for any child. So, like, if you have a brother or a sister and you may not even be in school yet, we provide meals, I think, for you too, Mike, for the whole family, for all the, all, the, all the minors living there. I think it's important enough to point out, because West Virginia, Jerry, you know that, having lived here for a while, Deb, sometimes we get that bad rap, but our kids, every one of our school yeah. kids gets free breakfast and lunch every single day, five days a week, provided by the school. Right. And that continues, even with us not being in school, that has continued. And Deborah, just like you with us, it's our superintendent and our board of education and our principals and assistant principals are there giving that food out curbside so the families don't even have to get out of their cars. I mean, so you know, God bless them. We are blessed to live in a community that, that puts that, you know, that kind of importance on that. They're, you know, they're doing that at our school our system lunch too. ladies and lunch gentlemen because they're the ones in there preparing all that food every week. Right. One of the things I was really proud of was we really did right away take into account um, what was important to the kids. We, because we don't know, Jerk, especially with the older kids that are in high school, I have kids who now all of a sudden are really the primary caregivers for their younger siblings. You know, for the, for the moms and dads that are still blessed yeah. to have a job, now all of a sudden, you know, this high school junior is having to make sure that his younger brothers and sisters um, are putting clothes on, are bathed, are getting ready, or I have a bed, sixth grader you know, that kind doing of thing. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, we, we looked at their, their primary needs first. Are they doing okay physically and food? Are they doing okay mentally? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel overwhelmed? Are they stressed out? Are they suffering from anxiety? And then we dealt with, yes, we need to make sure that they're not you know, falling too far behind and that we're, we're continuing to challenge them and, and keep them up so they're ready to start again when we meet face-to-face -face again in the fall. That, that was a state directive and then a Board of Education directive. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we are. We're making sure that they have the food. Our school districts are making sure they have that, that there's someone there, that they're being taken care of, and then we look at their academic needs. Right. But we are holding them, we're still holding them to a standard, Mike. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely, well, absolutely. But, academics are important. But we're caring, loving people. So, I mean, that you know, we have to start there first, and I, I'm, I'm thankful in a public school district that, that they too. are embracing that, you know what I mean? That they care about the whole child. It's not yeah. just academics. You know what? I, I'm, I'm so happy that I think teachers, by and large, all across the country have been able to, to rise to this really different, incredible challenge and, and show why we became teachers in the first place. Because we love kids, because we want to help make the world a better place one student at a time. You, you know what I'm saying? I think this is showing that teachers really do care.
And that's going to do it for this episode of Life with Jerry Williams. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your day. Hope that you will subscribe to the podcast, that you will give us a five-star rating, maybe a review if your platform allows that. That helps other people find the podcast as well. If you'd like to go back and listen to the entire episode that those highlights were taken from, Dr. Hinkle appeared on the episode Murder Hornets, which was released on May the 11th. And my brother and sister, Mike and Deb, talking about COVID-19 and how that's affected public education. We're on the episode Together While Apart, and that came out on April the 27th. Next week, another recap episode as we're getting ready for season three. I'll be playing highlights from three different episodes in which I talk with fellow employees at the Joy FM, Paige Long, Jewel Smoke, and Carmen Brown. That's going to be available on next Monday, provided, of course, that you're listening to this one on on a Monday, I guess. And then we'll be ready to kick off season three on August the 3rd. Thanks so much for listening to Life with Jerry Williams. 